In episode 443 with Yemi Pen, we are diving deep into all things trauma, how to release it, how to move past it, how to transform it, and so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode because we are talking about trauma and how to move past it and really heal it so that you can be your true, amazing self, that beautiful you that you came here to be. And for those of you that have never heard of Yemi, she is a fearless businesswoman and a thought leader on creating your own memo, meaning she gets to write the script of her life and encourages others to do the same. She is an author, a serial entrepreneur with a common thread of transformation across her businesses, whether it be transforming Sydney's rail network as an engineer, transforming physical health in her F45 gym, or shifting the perspective of our minds as she supports people in creating a life that they not only want, but deserve. More recently, she has added documentary producer to her repertoire as she shifts her core life's purpose to raising the vibration of acknowledging and healing our individual and therefore collective trauma. For everything that we mention, including her documentary and books and all of the goodness that we mention in this episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 433. And now let's bring on the incredible Yemi Penn. Beautiful Yemi, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? (laughs) Why would you do this to me, Melissa? (laughs) What did I have for breakfast? I actually had an omelette with mushroom spinach and a decaf oat milk flat whites. So yeah, I'm ready. You are ready to go. I am, I am. (laughs) Now, I am so excited because... Trauma is not something we have dove really deep into in this show. Yemi, your documentary, Did I Choose My Trauma, is very powerful and a very ballsy title, by the way, which I want to talk to you about. But first, in your documentary, you talk about the two types of trauma, shock trauma, like the one that you might experience from a car accident and complex trauma and that might be from sexual abuse. Tell us about the trauma that you experienced as a little girl and how you created this documentary and why you created this documentary. You are a woman after my own heart. You get straight into it and and I love it. And that, if I can go to the back end, is really what I want us to be about is to have these conversations and create that safe space immediately so we can get to the heart of healing. So my particular trauma probably sits in the complex bucket. I say that as if we only have one distressing event. The truth of the matter is we probably have so many. But the one that has triggered a lot of my work was as a young girl, the memory I have is age seven, eight years old, where I had an uncle who typically stayed with us quite regularly. And effectively, to put this as mildly as possible, he abused his power, his sexual power in particular, over me. And there's only one particular incident that I remember However, I know it was quite regular because everyone kind of knew I was his favorite girl. Now, even speaking this out to you right now still feels a little bit weird because I never had the vocabulary or the space to let that particular activity land. And in not speaking it out, firstly, there's no room to heal because you can't say goodbye to something you never said hello to. But also, most importantly, my courage with compassion, because I think sometimes when there's anger and venom, it can end up making us ill. 
But with compassion and speaking about this, it's really given people other realms or opportunities to speak. Now, the documentary came about from me writing my first book. I wanted to write a book because I wanted my kids to hear my story with my words, just in case I was to leave this earth sooner than planned. I needed that to be the case. And there was a chapter called Childhood Trauma. But that was the chapter that almost everybody who bought my book was kind of linked to. You know, we spoke about money, motherhood, and all those were key things. But the trauma was one. And it was fascinating that almost one in two either had experienced that particular type of trauma. And what happened was I kind of got this message and this voice in 2020 of, you need to do some work in trauma. And my business manager at the time said, we got to do a documentary on trauma. And I was like, no, no, nobody wants to hear this. People are tired of the victim story. I can't, I don't want to do that. And that was my own shadow speaking. But the first thing that came up for me is people probably aren't going to want to read it as quickly. How can I get a message to myself and people quick? And I just got this download of make this documentary. And when I found a producer, the first thing she said was, we've got to call it something that will make people be interested. And not that that was my focus, but she said, no, she said, we have to be answering a really pivotal question. And somewhere on some deep physical and spiritual level, I wanted to investigate as to whether in some realm I chose my trauma, not the incident, but the trauma it would have on me. And that's how it was birthed. Wow. It is a very ballsy title. And I'm sure you got a lot of pushback from people saying, there's no way I chose that. There's no way I chose that physical abuse or sexual abuse. Did you have that reaction from anyone? And if so, what was your response? (laughs) I don't think I prepared myself as well for it. (laughs) Was I nervous? Probably 5%. To be honest, the, the pushback, which I won't even call pushback because I have to invite people to have a difference of opinion. In all my platforms, I say, by all means, let's disagree, but can you respect me? And can I even challenge you to love me in your disagreement? And that really has played well. So we probably had about 3%. So we've had over 100,000 views across all the platforms. About 3% who said, I don't like that title. But what was quite interesting, and with the work I do, which is continuous, you know, Michael Singer writes a book on Tethered Soul, and he speaks about thorns, which is these things that, you know, we kind of have protected ourselves from being hurt. So that title would have hurt people. But I very strategically and purposefully said, did I choose my trauma? I wasn't asking anybody else. So I've just filmed my third documentary series and I'm nowhere near saying, do we choose our trauma? I might get there eventually, but I'm not on that journey, nor have I done enough research to pose the question on other people's behalf. So Once I realized that this was actually for me to speak my story before I start sharing other people, when people disagreed with me, I said, I completely understand. But I also said to them, I also believe we have a purpose. And I might be speaking to the person who is now ready to investigate deeper at the level I'm exploring, whereas you might be the person who still needs to work with the people who don't even acknowledge it. And I said, let's celebrate the roles we play in the different ladders of, I don't know, life. And it was taken well. There were still a few people who were bothered and said, you must change that title immediately. But I'm, I'm learning to give love and step away because it's not my work to fix anybody. No, absolutely not. It's not our job to fix anyone, not our children, our partners, our parents, no one. We just need to focus on doing our own internal work. And trauma is such a big topic because Like I mentioned before, there is one-off shock traumas, things like car accidents, a fall, some sort of injury, surfing accident or something like that. And that causes physical trauma on the body and then also emotional trauma. And then there is things like complex trauma, sexual abuse, physical abuse, things like that. So I know that if we don't look at our trauma, it can keep triggering us in the present moment. And we can keep activating that pain body if we don't look at it, if we don't heal it, if we don't release it, and if we don't let go of it. So talk to us about how we uncover if we even have trauma. Like how does someone know if they have trauma 
And then what do they do with it to release it? So firstly, I got invited to do a TED talk. The minute I said, okay, I'm going to do work in trauma. I mean, I'm an engineer by profession. What the hell am I doing talking about trauma? So this was left field. And I was like, hoping I've got some guides who know what's going on. But what I did when I did my TED talk was really cheekily, I started off by saying my trauma is bigger than yours. And eventually, if you listen to the whole thing, it's completely the opposite. It really does depend on the individual, potentially even your DNA. I make reference to a gentleman in his 40s who acknowledges that in losing a pet when he was five years old is the reason why he struggles to form relationships because of lack of worthiness. I remember sobbing uncontrollably and I've never sobbed for myself with my own trauma. So it's quite interesting trying to understand how we magnify trauma. So the first thing is don't magnify whatever you think was your trauma or not. I usually believe how you know, and I've learned a lot of this from the therapist that I've been working with, is something will be disturbing you or you will see repetitive patterns that typically are adverse events, whether it's relationships. You know, I had a friend who constantly said, I've always got a really horrible manager at work. Now, it's not to say you don't need to take the blame or anything, but if there is a continuous thing, then you need to look at it. Before you start putting blame on anybody, just look at what's coming up. And most of the time you ideally want someone who can deal with trauma, but sometimes I think you can do your own compassionate inquiry. You know, Gabor Mate speaks about that, which I love, which is, but for me, I say, start with self. Why do I feel like that? And every time you find yourself trying to look outwards, just come back to, but why do I feel like that? And then sometimes if you just ask yourself what I call downloads, you will probably hear this thing of, oh, it was that time that you got locked out of the house and you didn't know when you were going to get back in. But your brain, the conditioned brain says, "Mm -mm, that's too small. I am not going to be that ridiculous. At 10 years old, told your body to constantly be on watch, to not be left alone, to the point that that's how anxious you get in relationships. Then I'm saying you need to look at that. Don't underestimate it. And it doesn't mean it eradicates it. It just means that next time you are triggered by that, you kind of get off the trauma spiral a lot quicker than you would have ever done in the past. Mm. So what's the first step if someone has gone within, had that little self-inquiry, had that conversation, well, where did this come from for me? What's the next step that they can do within themselves to start to release this? Because We know that if we don't look at this trauma and we don't heal it, it can lead to extreme avoidance or extreme love addiction. So talk to us about what the next step is for someone who may identify with some trauma that they've got from the past. I think the first step is to congratulate yourself for actually acknowledging it. Yeah. It really is. Absolutely. Like really just celebrate. I mean, when I released that documentary in 2020, I did get exhausted because I underestimated how many people would resonate and I got emails coming through. I'd get voice notes and just the relief in someone saying, oh my gosh, I buried this as well. I didn't know that, but there was a relief. You've got to celebrate yourself for that because you've been trying to survive for however long. And some of you have been surviving for decades, potentially centuries with intergenerational trauma. So I'm hoping people can hear in my voice that this isn't a, let's sit in a victim story of which being a victim, absolutely. It's, you know, when that first happens, you need to be in that role to be cared for, but it's when we carry it on. And I'm saying, let's work to minimize that time, but let's celebrate yourself for acknowledging it. That's the first thing, celebrate. The next thing, which is, you know, I'm going to have to find another word because I think everyone's using it now for anything. It's the awaken period. It's to start to think of alternative ways in which you could look at it. I think talk therapy is great, but there are so many other remedies. I mean, the minute you said that EFT, emotional freedom technique or tapping was powerful for me. You know, for those who don't know, it's almost what I call a non-invasive form of acupuncture. There are certain pressure points around your body that you tap while you say specific statements that firstly acknowledge the pain, but then you continue to say statements that actually reintegrate more positive things. And people can literally look that up on YouTube, whoever's got, you know, a lot of hits and lots of followings and comments. But EFT, for instance, is a modality that you won't necessarily see advertised at your GP. So I think the next step is to just awaken, which means 
empty your cup that suggests you know everything about healing and try to look for alternative methods because I think you'd be alarmed at how quick you would come around to acknowledging and healing your trauma continuously. Mm, And it's an ongoing process. It is, definitely. I think it's lifelong. I mean, Maya Angelou, she said she was going to keep learning until the day she died. And I remember thinking, what? Don't you just take a break at some point? But I think once we accept that and if we can enjoy the journey along the way, then just accept it's ongoing because I find new triggers every day. And and now I'm even triggered in some of the challenges my kids are facing. So it's continuous. Let's regroup, get the energy and be prepared to live a fulfilling life, which includes the downs as well as the ups. And I think one of the most important things is when we become aware of a trauma and a trigger is to have self-compassion and not beat ourselves up or say, like you said before, I shouldn't have this or you should be over this by now or that happened 15 years ago, get over it. That inner mean girl, I talk about that inner critic, the inner mean girl in our head that says those things to us. I think self-compassion and placing your hands on your heart and just holding yourself, holding your inner child and saying, I got you, baby girl. I love you and I'm here for you and we can move through this. And just holding yourself through that because it can feel really big. It can feel sometimes very stretching and we can get through it. We can move past it. We can choose to let it go. We can choose to move past it. And on the other side is growth and and an upgraded version of ourselves. Mm. Oh, you spoke for about 10 seconds where you mentioned the inner child and I found myself just wanting to ground my feet. I felt like you were just rocking me back and forth and that's you saying it. Imagine if I could say that to myself. So the best way that I've managed to find how to do it for myself is, and you know, whether you have children or not, whether you, you know, you probably have a niece, a nephew, you know, friends that have kids. I have two children, but I now tell myself I have three. And so that third child is me because I really still struggled to go back and nurture her. So my son, who's eight years old, when he is acting an absolute clown, I am down with him. And what that does is that releases, that nurtures the inner child, the younger Yemi that maybe necessarily didn't get that. But I I think just that 10 second, if people could go back into that and just make sure that there is that compassion. And remember, who made the rules? Who said that you shouldn't be this or you should be that? And other people will have opinions, but part of this transformation is learning to silence the noise when it's necessary to hear yourself because you have to live with you. And it's important that you come from a place of compassion. So important. I feel like the more I do this inner work, the quicker and quicker I get at identifying the trauma and almost pinpointing it straight away. So when I get triggered, I can almost very quickly now go, oh, that's triggered because of that. And that's okay. And it's just activating my pain body now, but it's not actually true in this moment. And even this morning with my husband, he said something and it triggered me. And I just sat with it for a moment and I was like, ah, that triggered my little girl because of X and it's not true in this moment, I can feel it and release it and now let it go. And what would have taken me maybe a couple of weeks to move through in the past, I was able to very quickly move through it. And the more you become aware, the more you go inward, the more you get to know yourself, the quicker and quicker you get at moving past these things when they come up. If I was with you in person, I'd be doing some sort of Harlem shake celebrating. You just engulfed. I mean, you're giving me goosebumps. Thank you. You're giving me goosebumps because, you know, when you find something out, like, I don't know, you find a secret to live a happy life. You just want to share with everybody. That's it. If you can do that quicker, you save yourself hours, days, weeks, months, sometimes even years. Similarly, my partner, you know, in a previous life, I'd have said he's been getting on my nerves, but I've had to question. And I found out very quickly, literally within two minutes, because I've been doing the work, typically this would take me months, was that I was just uncomfortable because he is down. He is upset about something that is valid for him. That makes me uncomfortable because for some reason I'm reliant on his jubilant self in order for me to exist in a happy moment. 
But that takes work. It sounds easy to say it now, but that's effectively what you just said. And the quicker you do that, the quicker you can say, okay, I love this guy. However, he's working through stuff. I don't need to carry it. So I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go for a walk and learn how to be that couple. It feels complicated, but it's really fun. I don't know. For me, I try to make it a game. How quickly can I get off this ladder of blame? I think with all personal development, the more lightness and joy and play and fun we can bring to it, the better. It's just, it doesn't have to be so serious. And if we can bring a little bit of color and play to it, then why not? Because we have to look at this stuff. And if we continue to suppress trauma, if we continue to move through our life, just pushing it down, sweeping it under the carpet, that can lead to a deep lack of self-worth or the belief that I'm broken, our inner mean girl will run on a tangent with you're not good enough, you're broken, and then that can lead to destructive patterns, addiction, alcoholism, sex addiction, shopping addiction, all of those things. So we do need to look at it. We do need to turn these moments, these painful moments in the past and turn them into power. And I love that you talk about in the documentary that the body keeps the score and there's an incredible book on this, which is amazing. And I'll link to it in the show notes, but talk to us about what happens to the body when we have a traumatic experience. Oh, so I've just got a download and it's safe to share this. And my daughter, I've already received her permission. When I do these interviews, which I'm very grateful for, because I accept that you take time out of your day to share something with the world. I don't take it lightly. And and I similarly want to speak to do the same. And I think personal stories, and not everybody needs to share their personal story. To show and explain what it does to the body, I'll give you how actually the documentary really got triggered to be made. My daughter was a teenager, was struggling in school, a lot of issues, and we had self-harm happening. When I saw the scars of self-harm, it actually looked like welts that my ancestors would have experienced in slavery. And what did that do? If I could describe it, I think there's a scene in one of the Marvel movies where Dr. Strange kind of gets pushed out of his body. So physically he's there, but his whole spirit kind of comes out. That was it. And I won't go into all the details of the things that were in my head, but I left. But because I'm still mama bear, I went into action mode of, okay, we got to see the therapist. We got to do this. We got to do that. But something was missing and I didn't see it. So when I went to speak to my daughter's therapist, she said, Yemi, I think you need to see someone because I think she picked up a disconnect. What I had done was disassociate, meaning that my body was there, but my mind and you know spirit was operating at a different level. And I still haven't fully unpacked it. You know, I've just recently started a PhD where I'm going to investigate this further. I hadn't unpacked it, but I had what they call disassociated. And what did that disassociation remind me of? It reminded me of what seven, eight-year-old Yemi needed to do in order to survive and make sure she could still play with friends. I had to disassociate that. I'm worried about uncle coming. Is he going to call me? Can't someone save me and say, Yemi doesn't want to go with you. She just wants to play with her friends. I disassociated from the pain. So it kind of means like I'm almost operating in two different paradigms. So when we say the body keeps the score, that's just one example. There's so many other things. The body also keeps the score. I gave a talk in Byron Bay a couple of weeks ago and a gentleman shared his story quite openly and explained that he had experienced similar trauma to what I did, but he'd always had these spots on his body and never, ever had related it to the fact that he had not acknowledged and started to heal his trauma. And the minute he did, those spots left. Whoa. Oh my gosh. I've got full goosebumps, full goosebumps. Oh my goodness. So, and I know so many people can relate to this, that once they look at the trauma and they heal it, the illness goes away, the skin conditions heal, the eczema heals, all of these things go away. And I have heard many stories like that, which is just so powerful. So tell me what your thoughts are on generational trauma, because you just spoke briefly about it. And you say that trauma not transformed is transferred. So I have 
at the time we record this, I have a nine, nine month old baby and I have a 15 year old stepson. I call him my bonus son. And if I don't look at my trauma and if I don't transform it, it can potentially be transferred generationally. Now, the thought of that makes me go, Oh, babe, you got to do this work. (laughs) (laughs) We got to do this work right now. Because, yeah, and I can see my mum's mum and what she passed down and then what my mum experienced. So I can see that it does get transferred. So is there anything else that we need to do besides addressing our own trauma in this lifetime so that we don't pass it on? Is there anything else we need to look at or think about? so that we don't transfer our trauma and instead we transform our trauma. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've got a 60% response to that because one of my superpowers is admitting to what I don't know. And that's the reason why I've decided to go into the PhD. And specifically, my intention is to look at some of the traditional, you know, some of the indigenous modalities for resolving trauma, because there's something in the back of my mind that doesn't have any data collection to it that says trauma is actually just a part of life and different cultures respond to it differently. So you might go to a Buddhist who says, well, I don't see that as bad. I just see that as part of the life force we are here to experience. And you could go to others. So that's what I want to investigate. So responding to your question, I'm not convinced we can solve everything. I don't know because there are some things I think I'm doing for my kids right now that I think are the bee's knees. They might grow up later and say, "Mm mm-mm, All those times you moved around because I was dealing with my trauma, they were traumatic for me because I had to start a new school every single time. So I sit here and say, well, what can I do? And so what, where I've got to is we've got to do the best we can with the knowledge we have. And if the knowledge is presented to you, then it becomes your responsibility. I know it sounds heavy. It becomes your responsibility to look into it and clean your trauma and create an environment that allows your kids to be able to do the same. Now, trauma sounds like a big, dirty word, but my son completely took the sting out of it when he heard me practicing for my TEDx talk, you know, because it starts off with my trauma is bigger than yours. And he says, no, my trauma is bigger than yours. I fell down in the playground today and look at this scab. And, you know, there has to be a way that we can have the conversation so they can talk it through. You know, my daughter's just come back from a six month stint in the UK because we needed to do that for her mental health. Would it have been slightly traumatic traveling during a pandemic? more than likely, but I had to try and weigh it up of we've been isolated here with lockdown for years. She hasn't seen her dad. We don't have the village. I'm a single parent. It needed to be done. But the question is, can we talk through it so that when she's at a later life, she can say, oh yeah, I started resolving that from day one and I'm probably going to resolve it till the day I die. Mm-hmm. And trauma does sometimes, there's a bit of stigma around the word a lot of people don't like it. They think, oh, oh, we shouldn't talk about that. No, let's not talk about that. But I just want to say, you are not your trauma. What happened is not who you are. It doesn't make you who you are. You don't have to even identify with it and you can release it. It's just something that happened that you moved through. And on the other side is a newer, upgraded version of yourself. So we can shine in spite of our trauma can't we? Absolutely. I don't know why I keep doing this. Every time I'm about to say something, I find myself cringing. And that means I've still got work to do. So that's a sign for anybody else. I start cringing because I don't want to sound like a rah-rah. Not that there's nothing, anything wrong with rah-rah people, but I want it to be rich. But your pain is probably your superpower. And I say probably because I think you have to be the one to define it. I'm just here kind of shining a torch saying, oh, there's the path, there's the path. I truly believe it is. Now, this guy, Resma Manikim, who wrote a book, My Grandmother's Hands, he's got me into this dirty trauma and clean trauma. And look, all these are just words that we give meaning. What he's effectively saying is that we all have trauma, but we have to decide if we're going to clean it or not and if it's dirty. So we are definitely not our trauma, but if you start cleaning it, that literally, maybe that happened to you so you could help somebody else. Maybe that's how we get the world into a place of balance 
So absolutely, you are not your trauma, but I bet you my bottom dollar that if you started cleaning it, it becomes your superpower. Mm. In the documentary, you ask, what is the purpose of this trauma for me in this life? With your experience with your uncle, what was the purpose of that trauma for you in this life? And have you gotten to that place of understanding that and knowing that yet? Not fully. Look, I'm currently trying to raise funds for the feature length documentary that actually has me investigate that. And in some weird way, I'm really hoping I get to speak to my uncle to ask the questions because I'm in a different place. And that's huge. And it's actually part of my PhD. I've managed to convince my supervisors to let me submit that part documentary style. So that really is the vision. And I'm not suggesting it will be closed or resolved then, but that's a big part. But if I could share what I think it has done for me now in purpose is it's allowed me to find my voice. I say it in the documentary and, you know, I don't know what your audience listens to, but mine is quite vast. I'm an engineer. I like to analyze, but I'm also quite spiritual. It's all about contrast. How do you know that you're happy if you haven't experienced sadness? You know, there's got to be a context to it. So I don't know what kind of child I would have been before that event. Would I have been outspoken? Would I have been doing great things from the get-go? So my voice was definitely lost. There was self-worth attached to it big time. And there are other events that would have happened. So part of the purpose was finding my voice and really honing it in so that I can reach people. Because when I reach people, I feel that that other child who might be going through something I went through can hopefully be saved. And save, and don't want to make it a savior complex, but really can. Maybe we can start educating people. Now, I almost took on the role of understanding what a perpetrator in that kind of trauma experiences, but I don't think that's my job. I think there's somebody else out there who's going to start investigating if they haven't already. Why would somebody do this? And without a shadow of a doubt, there's probably something there. So I believe part of my purpose is how can we now talk about trauma from an empowering way? which does not give license for it to be repeated. That's like saying we've ruined our planet, but let's just keep on ruining it. No, we've ruined our planet. What are we going to do to start healing? How can we reverse this and stop it? That's what I want us to do with trauma. Because until we save ourselves as humans looking at our trauma, to ask a traumatized species to look after a planet is like trying to put lipstick on a pig. That's genuinely how I feel. And it's harsh, but it's the truth. And that's why my purpose is so strong because it's actually linked to the planet on which we live on. Yeah, absolutely. And I really want everyone listening to not feel hard on themselves if they are identifying with some trauma that they have in their life. I don't want this to be like a beat up on yourself's time. That's not what I want. What I would love is for everyone to just become inquisitive with what's going on within themselves and know that they aren't their experience, they aren't their trauma. And imagine a world if we all went within and healed and cleaned up our trauma. Imagine a world where we all did that. There would be so much less reactivity. There'd be so much less anger, aggression, frustration, fighting. You know, there would be so much more harmony because there's so many more people walking around with awareness, with consciousness. And let's all just do the work ourselves, within ourselves, and look at it and not worry about trying to fix anyone else because you can't, but just put your detective hat on and become inquisitive of what's going on for you. Mm. I have to say that you are probably like my soul sister in just everything you just said. I was trying to think, is she my twin flame? Is she my soul sister? I don't even know all of these because I'm glad you said that. I mean, I literally almost started to weep there because what you just said was a call to action that I hope everybody hears. And it's not for you to be hard on yourself. And please bear with me as I say this, like, I need you. We need you. What you have to offer to this world is unreal. And you think you are doing great things now, right? Imagine the greatness you have yet to give. So thank you for saying that. Thank you. Oh, pleasure. And the thing is, is like, we only get one precious, magnificent, magical life. One. We only get one in this earth suit, in this time, in this space, this reality. We only get one. 
So why not make the most of it? We didn't come here to struggle, to suffer, to repeat these traumatic events. We came here to really shine. And in the documentary, you say that yes, you did choose your trauma and that you wouldn't change a thing. Do you still feel like that? I do. And, you know, you have to watch all three parts, or I've put it in one on YouTube, to say I didn't choose the trauma in this physical plane. In a different life, I believe I did. But let's just say you don't believe in different lives. I believe there's some sort of subconscious choice to choose the experience and the transformation you go through. That was a choice I made. I either had a choice to continue to tell the story to every other partner I had, which I did. And I think sometimes I told that story because I wanted love. I wanted to be heard. But some people may have heard that as, oh, this is an invitation to abuse power even more. So I could have made the choice to stay in that or make a different choice to transform it. And that's when I started going to therapy, doing alternative modalities. So I still definitely feel it. I mean, I didn't want to do a PhD. I did the documentary originally instead of the PhD. And I kind of got this vision of, hold on, why are you fighting four years of studying when you are going to be doing this for life because it's your purpose? And then a PhD became nothing. So there was definitely a choice because when I see people become who they have every capacity to be, I just sleep really well at night. Yeah, I chose the experience I'd get from it. Mm, and going back to talking about your children, I mean, this is the work, right? When you witness your child going through a traumatic experience and you get activated, not only from your own trauma, but then from you wanting to help them and to, for them not to have that experience. You don't want them to have that experience because you love them so much. Yeah. How do we shimmy our way through that situation with as much <laughs> grace as we possibly can? I can hear the struggle in your voice. It's like, yeah. why am I asking this question? I have to ask, but you have to ask it. It's a great question. Yeah. Because we don't want our babies, even if they're like 20, 30, 40 years old, to go through pain. And I, I also think it's one of the... Um, I don't want to call it a lie, but I think it's been misinformation. We talk about the era of misinformation. I think there was major misinformation centuries ago about whether we will ever experience pain. But this is how I've learned to do it, is to talk about the small things, the small things in inverted commas. Because what you find happens is that when something really tragic happens, whether it's you know the loss of a pet, a parent, a sibling, or even them really injuring themselves, it becomes too big because we haven't spoken about the smaller, and I put that as in small t, doesn't make it less significant, traumas they may have had, i.e. a friend didn't invite me to a birthday party, is to talk through it and not talk about the event, but how it makes us feel. You know, I had a reading done by a shaman in the US a couple of weeks ago, and he explained that I particularly, although I think it applies to everybody in life, is that we are here to experience the full life force of life, meaning the joy and the non-joy. What do we experience? And he also mentions that we now need to be in an era of feeling, which really comes from the feminine, which hopefully a lot of your listeners know that's just not about being a woman. It's about the feminine attributes that we've got to go to feeling. So I try to talk about feelings as much as I can without taking away our ability to operate on a day-to-day. I hope you can hear me when I say this. <sighs> Traumatic things will happen for our kids and we don't know the magnitude. I think we will run ourselves rugged if we try to stop everything. But can we teach them along the way what it looks like for them? Not just for mum or dad, which is great, but for them to be their biggest savior, for them to be their biggest champion. That I've found has been really successful. And my son doesn't live with me at the moment. He's currently with his dad. We got caught up in the whole COVID thing. So he's been in Phoenix, Arizona. I can't even talk about how difficult that is, having spent all his life with me. He returns in a couple of months. But that was one of the things I needed to teach him. You're going to have some challenges when you get to school. 
you have a talk, you firstly remember who you are. We got affirmations. I am brave. I am kind. I am. So we just, we put it in life and (laughs) we hope for the best. Yeah. I think that's really important. It's not about dismissing it. I remember growing up, things would happen to me and my dad, bless him. I love him so much. But anytime something happened to me and I would get upset, it was very uncomfortable for him. You know, there would be the whole, oh, pull your socks up and you'll be okay, love, and pick yourself up and off you go. And I remember just thinking, I didn't have the words, but I just wanted to be held. I just wanted him to wrap his arms around me and go, that would have really been hurtful that Sarah didn't invite you to her party or whatever it is. And so I think it's really important as parents that we don't try and fix our children's trauma, that we just hold them, allow them to feel whatever it is is bubbling up. There's a parenting book that says, connection before correction. And this isn't about correction, but always connect first. And in this instance, instead of giving your opinion or advice, just connect with them, just connect. And as I'm saying this, I'm saying this for myself too. Like I'm like, Melissa, just connect with yourself, connect with your little girl when you get triggered or that comes up for you. So connect with our children first, connect with them, allow them and make sure they feel seen and heard and safe. And I think it's also really important that as parents and for ourselves, for our inner child, I'm talking about our inner child too, that we don't dismiss inverted commas, small trauma with a lowercase t and then the capital T trauma. For people, you know, not being invited to the party when they were six, that is trauma with a capital T for that six-year-old. Absolutely. Who's the trauma police and going, well, that's only a four out of 10. And then that one's a 10 out of 10. Who's the freaking trauma police here? (laughs) Like it's all relative to that person's experience. And so let's not dismiss what someone is feeling and instead connect with them and be that safe haven for them to feel whatever it is that they're feeling to help them release it so that they can move on and get the lessons from it and the growth from it. Absolutely. I mean, I love that. Who is the trauma police? And I love that connection before anything else. I think, you know, as you were talking and like you said, our parents absolutely do the best they can. But, you know, once I get funding and SBS take this next documentary series or ABC, the intent is for me to start doing documentaries with a different generation. I truly believe that a lot of our parents' generation had to use that model because it was the only way they were going to operate. But as things change as humans evolve and as the feminine energy takes over and we have to learn that as our kids grow we're gonna we're gonna see things change you know things that I thought "Mm, my daughter my kids should just get over but I'm still having to learn the connection before anything else it's just the acknowledgement and then I, I think most I think life has just been approached like a boxing fight which is you get knocked down there is no time to be talking about feelings you got to get up but we're not in a boxing ring nor are we trying to run away from a lion that you know we may have done millions of years ago so I love that connection before anything love it thank you for that Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, I try and apply it to all of my parenting before you want to teach them about, well, we don't climb up there because you could break that or you could hurt yourself, like connect with them first or whatever the situation is. Connect, connect, connect. And this goes for yourself and for your partner, for everyone. Note to self. I feel I just got a lesson there. (laughs) Okay. All right. Yes. Noted, noted. (laughs) I'd love to hear, what are you working on within yourself at the moment? Oh gosh. You know what? What I really wanted to say just came to mind. And then my body said, I don't want to go there, but I'm going to go there because it's what I call the downloads. I'm working with the very uncomfortable feeling that there are people who are not necessarily directly in my life, but actually have a very key role in my life, who I have a very estranged relationship with. And so I'm currently working through who I am meant to be as we go through that journey. And as you can see, I don't even have the vocabulary yet, but that is, and I know, I know difficult situations are here to teach us something. And that doesn't mean we go into it. It just means you try to figure out who you are. 
I didn't realize I tried to fix things so much and I need to figure out what that is. Can I just let a relationship that is sour and not great be? So that's what I'm working on. And it's, it's really uncomfortable because I think I'm a great person. I think, I think I'm funny. I think I like, well, actually I'm an introvert, so I don't go out much, but I think I'm a great person. And so I'm obviously battling with the fact that there are two people I know of in the world who will not give me the time of day, yet the roles they play in my life are pivotal. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. And it, it hurts, but I know it's going to be worth it. Mm. And sitting in that discomfort of why question mark over it. Like it's situations like that where your inner critic, your inner mean girl says, well, what did I do wrong? Is something wrong with me? What did I do? Did I say something? Or is it something that I did? And I know everyone listening can relate to this to some degree. These unexplained friendship breakups or anyone in your life where there's, yeah, relationships where it's just cut off, where there's no explanation, where there's almost like ghosting, it's just completely cut off, that can leave a person feeling incredibly confused, like an open tab left open on your computer, like an open loop left open. It can cause an internal spiral of what did I do wrong? I'm not good enough. Very confusing thoughts when we have to remember that that person has their own trauma and their own experience and we actually don't know what's going on internally for that person. We don't know. And in an ideal world, you would sit down, you would practice what I call CCC, crystal clear communication, and you'd have a beautiful, heartfelt, loving conversation where you both got to communicate openly and clearly, and you cleared the air and resolved it and you moved on and birds flew up to the sky. Like, imagine (laughs) if that happened all the time. That would be awesome. It doesn't always go that way because, you know, that other person might have their own trauma. And so, what I'm working on is not taking things so personally. Mm. Oh, that's so hard. (laughs) Because it's all about me. Of course I'm going to take it personally. Wow. Oof. Okay. It's big work. It is big work. It is big work. And we can do it. We can. We absolutely can. And it's a paradigm shift. I mean, it really is. You know, just as you and I were talking, I was thinking, how are we meant to do all of these things when we're trying to pay the bills, we're trying to have kids or not have kids, we're trying to form relationships, get married. We are dealing with life. But I think that's the reason why there are more conversations like this in the ether. Before you might have had to go somewhere in a retreat or a silent retreat in India or somewhere, but now you can get on podcasts and hear the paradigm shift. It is a paradigm shift. I think people, they say no knowledge is new knowledge. We're recycling it, but I think we're hearing it more and more and more by different people. So you're absolutely right. We can do it. It's a paradigm shift. Mm, Absolutely. I would love to hear what's bringing you the most joy in your life right now. (laughs) Taking the path of least resistance. It's like, I don't have to do much anymore. Like I've, I've let go. I'm about 80% letting go for someone who always wanted to be in control of what she was doing. It's bringing me the most joy because it's like a game. You know, that parcel when you're at Christmas and they're playing the music and the parcel goes around and you take a wrapper off, but I'm playing it with myself. So I get to take the wrapper off every time. It's bringing me the most joy. There's nothing more delicious than knowing that everything is always working out for me. Hmm. Everything is always unfolding exactly the way it's supposed to for our growth and evolution. Mm, Boom, boom, boom. Yes. What's your definition of success and what do you attribute your success to? I think having gone from being that homeless person to making millions, I can say that it's not just about the money. I actually think success is the journey to abundance, abundance of money, abundance of health, abundance of healthy relationships. That for me, it's the journey, meaning it can have the ups and the downs. How did I solve that relationship? How did I deal with that conflict? 
that for me is is success. It's just being present for all of it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Let's pretend now you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. Besides your book, which I think should definitely be in the curriculum, what is one book you would choose? And this can be on any topic you like. Oh, this is going to sound so cliche. It would have to be clean your trauma or cleaning our trauma. No, I think it would be about kindness, empathy, kindness, because I think when we've got people operating from that space, anything is possible. Um, But it would have to be a deep curriculum. Yeah. Mm, Absolutely. Kindness toward others and ourselves. Let's talk about how your day looks. I love hearing about morning routines and rituals and how you set yourself up for a successful day. Can you talk us through a typical day in your life, all the little routines and rituals that you do? Mm. So it has changed a bit. I used to get up at five, but I'm now getting up at about 6.30. Just kind of talk to my partner in bed and talk about the day and what we've got going on. Meditate for anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. And then I've started to drink stuff because I'm trying to clear my gut because your gut really is really the fountain of health. Then go for a walk, about 45 minute walk, get a coffee. And I start really at my desk by about 8.30. So at this point, I'm either having a meeting with the manager of my cafe in Sydney, might just look at what's going on in the UK because I've got a business over there that I'm a silent partner in the gym. So just look through what's going on, if it's affecting the business. And then it's sitting down and either editing or planning a documentary series and then doing research for my PhD. I tend to have a nap at least three times a week. Most people wonder how I get things done and it's because I meditate and because I have a nap. I don't believe in killing yourself to the end. I believe in sleeping for an hour to two hours in the day. So it gives me extra juice of four hours later on. And so that nap will probably happen about two, three, and then maybe a few meetings, coaching clients. And then I kind of put the computer away about six, dinner. And then (laughs) I laugh my head off watching Gogglebox with my partner because it's the only way to completely let loose. And they are hilarious and politically incorrect most of the times, but um, they don't disrespect anybody, which I appreciate. But Gogglebox, Gogglebox and building homes. We're really into building tiny homes at the moment. My partner and I want to start building sustainable. We just got some acreage in Lake Macquarie. So building tiny homes is now a big part of what we watch on TV. Yeah. So that's, that's my day. This sounds awesome. I love watching home shows like that or any sort of like renovation or building. It's the best. My husband and I pre-baby would watch lots of those shows. Yeah. So now what are you watching if you're not watching those anymore? Not a lot. (laughs) I didn't think so. (laughs) Not with a nine-month-old. No, I mean, she goes to bed at seven and guess who goes to sleep at the same time? Me. (laughs) Good on you. Yes. Good. So since she's been born, you know, people always said to me, sleep when they sleep. And I always thought that meant during the day. And I've never been a very big day sleeper. And so I thought, okay, I'm not going to sleep. Of course, at the first, the first few months, yes, I did sleep in the day when she was sleeping. But then I was like, okay, well, I'm not really going to nap in the day now. But why don't I just go to bed when she goes to bed at seven? And I am getting beautiful, long stretches of sleep. And it's awesome. (laughs) Love it. Love it. I wish I knew that back then. (laughs) Good for you. Oh, nine months. Go girl. Yes. Yep. Okay. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Yes. Let's do it. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Clear your mind with stillness every morning. Mm, I love that. What type of meditation do you practice? transcendental meditation. So I have my own mantra, which I love. Yeah, I do that as well. And I love it so much. Mm, Yeah, it's awesome. Okay. What is one thing we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Oh, I don't know if you're going to like this one. You're going to have to get unreasonable. You cannot use the same level of reason, in my opinion, to create wealth in today's world as may have been done decades ago. So get a bit more unreasonable within the legal limits and safety, but get unreasonable. And what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Mm, Love ourselves. 
love ourselves first and it becomes so easy easy. You will be smiling with your eyes if you've got your mask on. And if you haven't got your mask on, you'd be smiling with everything in your being and people will feel your love. So start with self. So beautiful. We say my daughter, her name is Bambi. And my husband and I say that Bambi smiles with every cell in her body. Like when she smiles, it's like every cell, tendon, fiber, everything smiles with her. Like she just lights up her whole body. So smile like that. Smile with every cell in your body. Mm, Yes. And that comes so easy when you start loving on yourself. Oh, you got to send me a picture of Bambi smiling or a video. I I want some of that. I want some of that. Totally. And it honestly inspires me. She smiles like that and it inspires me so much to love myself and to smile with my whole being as well. Yes. Oh, love it. Yemi, this has been so awesome. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't chat about yet? Look, I think this was a great podcast because you just went straight in, but it was really delicate. You know, usually heavy stuff feels like really, but it was delicate. It's like we took people on a gentle roller coaster. So there's really nothing. But for some reason, this has been coming up a lot in my interviews. Tarana Burke and Brene Brown have a book and it's not really about the book I'm trying to say, but I love the name. And so the last message I'd want to share is you are your best thing. You are your best thing. Remember that, receive that as you need to and want to. But for me, it means I'm my biggest champion all day, every day. Mm, Yes, you are. Yes, we are. I love that so much. This has been so beautiful. And yes, we did dive straight in. And that's because I really want to inspire people to do this work and it doesn't have to be serious and it doesn't have to be quote unquote traumatic. It can be light and we can laugh and we can bring joy to it and there can be tears and there can be whatever it is for you, whatever it looks like for you. There's no rules here. And so I wanted to just bring some more lightness to this conversation that is often quite heavy and just know that you are not your trauma. It doesn't define who you are. You can let it go and you can be a better version of yourself on the other side, the best version of yourself on the other side of it. So I want to thank you for all the work that you're doing, for being brave to do this documentary and to title it that. And for all of the work that you put out into the world, you are helping and serving so many people. And I want to know what I personally and the listeners can do to serve you today. How can we give back to you? How beautiful. Mm, Wasn't expecting that. Thank you. And I'm only just recently learning to receive. I think ways you can support is by sharing this podcast because you never know who you might bless. The other is, I mean, follow me on Instagram. I usually talk about any projects I'm doing. If I could reach 250,000 people who contributed a dollar towards the feature length, I think we could move mountains. So I will share more on my platforms. But for now, that's enough. Follow my work. Be part of the work. Speak to me so I don't feel alone. I promise you I will create a safe space. Even when I talk about the tricky subjects, I seem to be able to get that respect and and you will definitely feel safe there. This is a gift in itself. So I'm very, very grateful. Thank you. Mm, thank you. I wish I could just squeeze you I right know. now. <laughs> Virtual hug. Yes. Thank you so much for being here, Yemi. This has been awesome. And we'll link to everything of yours in the show notes. But thank you for being here. Thank you. I am so inspired to continue to go within, to release anything that's holding me back and to continue to transform my trauma so that I don't transfer it onto my children. That is my intention. And I hope that you got a lot out of this episode. And if you did, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all of my episodes will pop up in your feed so that you never have to go searching for a new episode. 
and come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this episode. I absolutely love connecting with you and hearing what you get from each episode. So please come and connect with me. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.